Thanks for downloading this show from PC One. Before we get rolling, here's a word from one of the folks who helped bring you this podcast. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. Garnishing your ham with pineapple? Pair it with a delicious Chardonnay to make their taste buds swirl. Deviled eggs are even better when paired with a light, dry wine like a bubbly Prosecco or a Pinot Grigio. For me, nothing beats recommending a great wine. And with such an extensive selection, I can help you find the perfect one in your budget. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine and More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! This Forbes Sports Money podcast is brought to you by WordPress.com. More websites run on WordPress than any other platform. Create your blog or small business website today and get 15% off any new plan purchase at WordPress.com slash Forbes. That's WordPress.com slash Forbes. This is Forbes Sports Money on Podcast One. And I'm your host, Mike Ozanian. This show is all about the business of sports. My guest today is Darren Heitner. Darren is a lawyer and the founder of South Florida-based Heitner Legal PLLC, which has a focus on sports law and entertainment law. Darren's also a contributor to Forbes Sports Money at Forbes.com. Hey, Darren, thanks a lot for joining us today. Thanks very much for having me. You know, uh, you're one of the experts on fantasy sports, and if ever... There's been an industry that's had ups and downs and been through all kinds of tumult the last few years. It's fantasy sports. Um, but let's, let's start, you know, for our listeners out there, what exactly are fantasy sports? Well, fantasy sports is basically the average Joe going and picking a team of players in any particular sport. This team can actually resemble the exact team that may be playing on a field or on a court instead it has to be across various teams so as not to mimic what's actually on the field or court and then it is basically this statistically driven competition where individuals who are not actually performing in these professional or collegiate sports are competing against one another based on how the athletes perform so, for instance, on any given night, you and I can draft a, a team of various players playing on different teams in different games, and based on the accumulation of stats, either you or I will be victorious. And oftentimes, these types of competitions get a little bit more exciting when there's money on the line and there's a type of wager, which I'm sure we'll get into has attracted a bit of scrutiny among the federal government and many states within the United States. This kind of reminds me, of course, I'm 57 years old, so in my life, this is relatively new. But, you know, when I was a kid, there was like rotisserie baseball and we compete against each other that way. This almost sounds a little bit like that writ large with all the technology we have today. And and as you alluded to, and some of the uh, money that's involved. Most people think back to those rotisserie league baseball competitions in the 1980s, early 1990s, as really the formative years for the fantasy sports industry. And back then, even I was involved, we would draft a team, and and baseball, I think, was, was the most widely used form of fantasy sports. You would draft a team of players 
and it would be a season-long competition. There was no daily or weekly type of fantasy sports gameplay. And every morning you would pick up the newspaper, check out the box scores, and see how your players did. And oftentimes the commissioner was handwriting in the different statistics and would send an email if that existed at the time, uh, or at least communicate verbally, and, and it was very interesting. But certainly, as you mentioned, technology has changed the game where now everything is automatically generated, whether it be by a Yahoo, a CBS, an ESPN. And we are not only talking about these season-long types of competition. Within the past 10 years, an industry in daily fantasy or weekly fantasy has grown and we're talking about to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars being invested by major venture capitalists into this particular area. But that season-long type of gameplay still predominates. It's actually still the most commonly used form of fantasy sports among fantasy sports players. So it's evolved to where, let's say it was a league and you know, you, me, and a couple of our buddies would compete acting almost like general managers and selecting teams for, let's say, the entire baseball season. More recently, people have done the same thing, but on a daily level. In other words, whose roster does best on every day based on the statistics of that day's game? And it's not only among friends. We're talking about these entities creating tournament-style structures where hundreds if not thousands of individuals are competing against each other by putting in an entry fee and taking a piece of the collective pie based on the entry fees that are put in although a caveat to that and what's in a federal law is that these prize pools need to actually be established before the operator knows how much is coming in from the entry fees. But what's interesting now is what we've seen in the past year or two, it's not only gone from from a season-long fantasy perspective to weekly and daily, and I'll say, full disclosure, my law firm has worked with a variety of fantasy sports companies, including one that more recently has created an offering that it goes by different halves of in-game competition. And I think that's the future where we've gone from a season-long structure to weekly and daily, and now you're going to see a lot of these operators get into in-game offerings and try to navigate the laws that are in place and that are changing very often. Right before our eyes, we've seen a lot of lobbying by the major fantasy sports companies to change the existing state laws that could consider that type of offering gambling and thus illegal and carve out a place for season-long, daily, and even in-game fantasy sports operations. All right, before we dig into the weeds of a lot of this stuff, which you've set up really well, um, how big of an industry, uh, what's your take in terms of uh, perhaps overall revenue or overall participation uh, has fantasy sports become and and what's your sense of how that would be divided between say the season-long fantasy sports players and the those that play whether it be daily or as you mentioned the even newer type where where it could be halves or something like that 
Well, it's very hard to estimate the number of individuals that are participating in any form of fantasy sports. And I think a, a big reason for that and also a difficulty in looking at revenues and profits is many of these companies are not publicly traded and they do not like to disclose that information. But there is the Fantasy Sports Trade Association that essentially helps to regulate the industry. And their most recent figure is that in 2016, there's roughly 57 million individuals who are playing some form of fantasy sports in the United States and Canada. Uh, and this has been a number that has grown steadily over time, although it, according to their figures, it's only been a modest increase from 2015 to 2016. So we may be seeing some sort of slowdown in that regard. As far as revenues and profits, again, it's, it's very hard to tell, but what we do know is that despite hundreds of millions of dollars being thrown at companies like FanDuel and DraftKings, the, more, the newer form of fantasy sports company that is really focused on these daily and weekly competitions, they're not actually in the black, they are in the red. They are incurring losses every single quarter and while it could be legitimized that they're, that they're focusing on growth, I think a lot is to be said on the vast amount of money that they've paid towards advertising, partnering with different sports leagues and teams, and also just the sheer amount of money that they've had to spend to defend against lawsuits and to defend against state attorneys general that have said, this is an illegal operation, you need to cease and desist. And finally, as I alluded to earlier, the sheer amount of money that they're now spending on lobbying for the states to change their existing gambling laws and hopefully be in the clear moving forward. But it is a big concern for the industry. The fact that many of these companies, especially the behemoths, aren't actually profitable at this point. Still, you know, I, I look back, I think it was late 2015, FanDuel, uh, Daily Fantasy Sports Company, was valued at over $1 billion reportedly. Uh, and its rival, DraftKings, uh, I believe it was at the early stages of uh, 2015, had raised over $625 million from investors. So, you know, it shows you the interest uh, in these daily fantasy sports sites. Uh, I go back to we're talking a lot about the law. And I want to go back to, I think it was 2006, and without making it all too complicated, my understanding was at that point in time, and this was still, I believe, before daily fantasy sports started to take off, when it was the seasonal fantasy sports games, basically the, the way the law was written was that fantasy sports was not considered gambling, that it was a game of skill. In other words, sort of the, the law was for, da for fantasy sports was akin to, say, poker, where poker unlike, say, slot machines, was not considered gambling. It was considered a, a game of skill. But over time, there was a differentiation made between the seasonal fantasy sports and the daily fantasy sports, where some states have now ruled that daily fantasy sports are gambling, and, and that's led to a tremendous amount of... Uh, uh, problems for the industry, tumult in the industry. And so uh, if you can get into a little bit in terms of what the legal ramifications or rulings have been and what that has done to fantasy sports. 
I'm really glad that you mentioned that. I actually recently wrote an article in Forbes that covers the five-year anniversary of DraftKings. And it, it, in part, it looks back to the formative years, the early years of DraftKings, and I know it hasn't been around for very long, but the company held its hat on that 2006 federal law that you mentioned. And I think a distinction needed to be and certainly still needs to be made between stating that the law itself legalizes fantasy sports and then the alternative, which is actually correct, it puts together elements necessary for fantasy sports to be classified as legal. And importantly within that definition is that there needs to be more skill than chance involved in the outcome of the competition. Unfortunately, for many years, it was read to indicate that the drafters believed there to be more skill than chance in the competitions. And certainly with the rise of daily fantasy sports, there became a question that had to be answered, which is, are daily fantasy sports and the gameplay distinct from season-long fantasy sports? And just because we may think that season-long fantasy sports requires more skill than chance to prevail, do we then also automatically believe that daily fantasy sports requires more skill than chance in order to prevail and receive some sort of share of a prize pool? And this was a question that has been wrestled with many times by many legislators, by many uh, state attorneys general. And we've seen that there still remains questions with regard to that. At first, there was a distinction made. You saw state attorneys general looking at FanDuel and DraftKings and saying, we don't believe this to be the same as season long and thus FanDuel, DraftKings, cease and desist your operations. But now what we've seen is that roughly 10 states thus far have changed their existing gambling laws. And they've basically treated all fantasy sports the same, uh, by and large. And thus, there is a change to the existing law that would potentially involve season-long and daily fantasy to explicitly carve them out of existing gambling laws that would otherwise potentially render the types of services illegal. But from the very start, I think that the biggest issue was the fact that many of these state laws were simply ignored. The operators looked at that 2006 law that you mentioned and said, all right, this gives us authority free and clear to provide our operations to pretty much every state, maybe but for four of them. But many of the other states outside of those four were ignored and wrongfully ignored because there were existing state gambling laws that put them in jeopardy. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. I found the best way for you to buy business travel. It's Upside.com. And if you're not a business traveler, you know someone who is. You have to tell them about Upside. Here's why I love it. At Upside, you save money on travel and you get a free Amazon gift card worth hundreds of dollars every time. You get savings and a big gift card. Free! Here's how they do it. 
Upside bundles your flights and hotel together for one low price. Bundling saves a ton of money, especially on business travel. So they give you an Amazon gift card. Your company saves money and you still keep all your miles. And right now, when you use code Forbes, you're guaranteed a free $100 Amazon gift card your first time. The code Forbes gets you a guaranteed $100 Amazon gift card. How can you not do it? Upside. Save big on travel and get a big gift card every time. Upside.com. That's Upside.com. Minimum purchase required. See site for complete details. If you go back to 2015, there was also an incident, uh, I believe it was with DraftKings, where an employee leaked data containing information about player lineups. And and I I think in the same week, uh, won $350,000 off a $25 buy-in. I also believe that even though subsequent to that it was uh, shown, if not proven, that that those leaks, he didn't benefit from those leaks himself. Uh, that also, I believe, uh, reared up calls for, for more regulation. It certainly did. Uh, it was right around that time that enhanced scrutiny fell upon this daily fantasy sports industry. And you're correct. It was a DraftKings employee that won approximately $350,000 in a FanDuel competition. And at the time, there were no company restrictions that precluded employees from participating on other operators' platforms. So while the DraftKings employee certainly could not participate in DraftKings' own competitions, uh, he was not barred from performing or, or playing on FanDuel. Now, since then... There have been changes uh, internally, DraftKings, FanDuel, and other operators. And what I think was maybe the most interesting part of all of that is Major League Baseball, which is an investor in DraftKings, said afterwards that in its diligence, it didn't even realize there was no uh, there was no restriction, no prohibition on an employee participating in a, in a third-party competition. But as you mentioned, that uh, DraftKings did conduct somewhat of an external review. It hired a law firm of its choice to conduct this review, and ultimately uh, the report indicated that there were, that the employee did not gain any sort of competitive advantage. I think that there are still many uh, insiders in the fantasy world who are skeptical of that opinion, but uh, that sort of put an end to that particular controversy. However, the indirect effect is that you had, especially in the state of New Jersey, a state that has for a very long time wanted to legalize sports betting and has been shot down over and over by the courts, you had lawmakers say, what's going on here? And pointing the finger at this and saying, if this is allowed, why aren't we allowed to have sports betting? And I think that's really when you started going down this slippery slope in the world of fantasy sports. And after that, you had the state, the attorney general in the state of New York file claims against FanDuel and DraftKings, not only as a consumer advocate looking at whether or not this was illegal or legal within the scope of existing gambling law, but also looking at the type of advertising these companies were doing. And in fact, Not so long ago, DraftKings and FanDuel each agreed to settle those claims 
for $6 million a piece. Uh, so talk about you know, big costs for these startup companies. Uh, but going back to your original statement, yeah. I mean, this, this issue with regard to the DraftKings employee, which was covered pretty much everywhere, including on Forbes, uh, was certainly a, a, a precursor to what was to come for the fantasy sports industry, which was a lot of scrutiny. So uh, we took an online poll, and the question we asked was, agree or disagree? Daily fantasy sports are considered gambling, while season-long fantasy sports are not. The poll results were 39% agree and 61% disagree. Now, okay, you're the legal guy. You know, I'm not. We're just two guys, like we're sitting down in a bar or coffee shop debating this. Here's what I don't get. If you look at the data, or at least what's been available through articles and so forth, it basically says a much lower percentage of people are repeat, a much higher percentage, excuse me, of people are repeat winners in daily fantasy sports than they are in season-long fantasy sports. In other words, you know, if you had a hundred, the same hundred people play a season-long fantasy sports game and then play a daily fantasy sports game, in the season-long, maybe 30% win, you know, at one point, where in the daily, it's much narrower, maybe, you know, 10%. That would tell me that... If anything, daily fantasy sports requires more skill than season long. What's your thought? It's a very difficult question. Um, it's sort of asking, you know, whether or not we are more influenced by nature or nurture to to a certain respect. Uh, the issue is, and I agree with you, that if there is disparity and if there is sort of parity in the season-long context and not as much in the daily fantasy context at first glance you would agree that just based on the numbers on the statistics it would appear that more skill is required in order to prevail in a daily fantasy sports competition however the claim on the other side is it's not skill per se. It's the fact that you have certain individuals, largely interestingly from the, the poker world, who are inserting numerous lineups into these types of tournament style play, skewing the competitive balance. But not only that, they have these algorithms that they've developed. And so it's not even them who are putting in the time, effort, and energy in order to craft these very brilliant lineups, they have a computer doing it. And they just press a button, and every day they're going to generate a certain lineup or, or many lineups that give them the best ability to win. Now, is that skill? I think that itself also is debatable. But in the bigger picture, the problem with the question as presented is, again, this issue of what is illegal gambling? And it's not as simple as looking at the federal law that was mentioned from 2006. It requires going state by state. So, for instance, in a state like mine, where I live in Florida, 
there's an advisory opinion from the 90s that specifically says participation in fantasy sports leagues is a violation of state gambling laws. It is considered gambling. And there is a statute on the books that reads very similar. Yet you have all these operators that are offering their services in the state of Florida, despite the fact that that law exists and you have efforts to change the law, but so far nothing's been passed and nothing's been signed into law. I think that's the bigger issue here, that it's not necessarily trying to distinguish between daily and season long. And I think, in fact, you see lawmakers not even trying to do that anymore. They're saying we're looking at this from a fantasy sports perspective as an industry as a whole. Um, although, that said, it almost looks like they're only looking at companies like DraftKings and FanDuel from the daily side. Meanwhile, there are a plethora of other companies that are either developed or in development, and I think that potentially creates problems in the future. Exactly, man. But, I, I, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm just going to cut in here and then I uh, let you continue. I'm a free market guy, um, and I have no proof of about what I'm about to say, but this is my... A visceral reaction to what's been going on legally, okay? I think that this is all these attorney generals and so forth and, and all of this. I think these guys are all looking to get the handout to collect more fees, more taxes, more this and that to get their hands in. I don't think having them involved is going to improve anything. And if we go by some of the stuff that, that's been thrown out there, by people like, oh, you know, these guys, there's a certain limited few that have unfair advantages. Well, then, like, the New England Patriots in the NFL, like, should be outlawed because they use algorithms to measure talent, and, you know, they have highly skilled people that they keep, and they win the Super Bowl, like, every three years, you know? I mean, you know, they always seem to win. Um, you know, it's talent, and and no one. By the way, you know, no one's forcing people to play these games, and and you know, I think beyond disclosure, full disclosure that these fantasy daily fantasy sports sites need to make, um, and and making sure that the rules are followed, and you know, there aren't data breaches. I think beyond that, it's like the government should just get out of the way, let people pay, you know, play these things, and you know. Get them out of it. And I think this industry, number one, would be doing much better. And number two, I think when there are mistakes made and things happen, it'll be self-correcting because if they don't fix it, their own reputations will decline and people will stop playing. I agree with much of what you said. I think at this point in time, most individuals who are paying any sort of money to participate in fantasy sports do so more as a form of entertainment than anything else. And you've heard, I'll call it that type of rhetoric presented by many of the operators in the space. But I agree with that. I think for some time there was an issue with regard to the advertising, with regard to uh, the types of bonuses that one would receive upon sign up. It wasn't necessarily clear uh, but there have been certain regulations that have been put in place, implementations made by the operators to better ensure that the consumers are protected. So to an extent, I think that was necessary, that type of consumer protection. What were the advertising issues, Darren? 
Well, again, I think there were issues with regard to how much of a bonus you would receive upon sign uh, up, Oh, by when the sites you themselves. Bonuses, I got it. And then also talking about, you know, that anyone could could win. I mean, you saw these types of TV advertisements. And look, to an extent, again, the operators put this upon themselves when they were spending tens of millions of dollars on TV advertisements during the NFL season uh, a year ago. So, you know, that attracted a lot of scrutiny, too, by saying, you know, your next door neighbor can win a million dollars in a competition when, honestly, it's probably not going to happen. Yeah, but I'm sitting there Um, watching TV with my nine-year-old daughter and, you know, trying to watch a ball game or something. and, And there I'm inundated by the state lottery. You know, a dollar and a dream. You know, the states seem to be doing the exact same things that, you know, they're, they're scrutinizing these fantasy sports. Sites. And that that's the hypocrisy. That's what it bothers is. me. That's what kills me. You know, it is. I mean, what are the odds of winning, you know, uh, the mega jumbo lottery that they're promoting every single darn day versus fantasy sports? At least with fantasy sports, you know, as you uh have outlined, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, they're compl- they're creating computer algorithms. They're, they're really uh, pouring over reams of data, and and you know, they're giving it their best shot. Where where the guy in the lot in the in the in the coffee shop or the newspaper store that I hit in the morning before I take the train, he's just going in and give me, you know, give me five of these, give me three of these. I'm playing my birthday, you know. I mean, well, there know. are a couple of underlying issues at play that mo- that many people don't want to talk about. One, as I alluded to earlier is that you had individuals, particularly in the state of New Jersey, who decided to use fantasy sports as the scapegoat to push this agenda of sports betting and this theory of, well, why, if if fantasy sports is allowable, can we not have sports betting? So that's one. And the other was monetization. Many states just saying, wow, there's so much money being pumped into fantasy sports. We hear about all these different venture capitalists spending tens of millions of dollars, if not hundreds of millions of dollars on FanDuel and DraftKings. We see these commercials over and over again. Why aren't we benefiting? Our state budgets need it. Now, there is, unfortunately, a disconnect because there's not all that much money to be made from taxation of fantasy sports. But I think that a lot of these states said, We're not, we don't want to allow this unless there's a way for us to exploit it. And, you know, now through the lobbying efforts of the fantasy sports operators and the fantasy sports trade association, you see new laws in place, but there's not a single one without some sort of fee or taxation involved because obviously the states want to benefit from it. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Jay Moore. I have a new sports podcast every day. More sports. Hashtag more sports. You don't even have to know anything about sports to love it. All you got to know is I get down. I tell it like it is. I curse. I know. That's weird. And I guarantee you will love it. Podcast One, Podcast One app. Please hit subscribe. You know, let's look at where all this is, has left us, right? The daily fantasy sports industry has, which was 
although it was much smaller than season long, it was much faster growing than was the season long uh, fantasy sports industry, at least until recently. It was it was the growth sector of fantasy sports, no doubt about that. So we go ahead now to where are we today, okay? You got daily daily fantasy sports industry. It's sharply contracted since, you know, these online games uh you know, were first offered and sparked all this all these legislative battles. I think more than two thirds of companies that existed uh uh roughly a year ago have closed uh or changed fo- focus or have been forced to merge. Um you know, uh, uh, I don't know where the the DraftKings and FanDuel thing was. I, I know they were going to emerge, but now it's being reviewed. Uh, at least three notable uh, fantasy, daily fantasy sites, Fantasy Aces, Fantasy Hub, Fantasy Up, they've closed while they've owed players money. Uh, where, where, where does all this stand? And, and what about, let me just throw this to you, you know, mentioned venture capitalists. What about like the leagues and some of these team owners that invested in these? You know, guys like uh, you know, I think Jonathan Kraft uh, or or, or uh, his father uh, Robert Kraft. You know, the Pats. I think they were big investors in some of these. Yeah. Uh, so you still have these investors involved, obviously, and and they're sort of putting pressure on the entities to shift from being focused solely on growth to finally looking at the bottom line and, and generating a profit. But what we've seen in the daily fantasy sports industry is a consolidation of power within FanDuel and DraftKings. I mean, there are various estimates out there, but I'll throw out a number of roughly 97% of the daily fantasy users and money is generated through the efforts of FanDuel and DraftKings. And we've so over time, many of the startups in the space have simply either folded or actually even been acquired by FanDuel or DraftKings. And now, as you alluded to, there is a pending merger between DraftKings and FanDuel. It's been pending for uh, many months thus far, and, and if it closes, it should be done before the end of 2017. But what we're waiting on right now is basically the federal authorities to finish their scrutiny of the deal and determine whether there are concerns in the realm of antitrust. Does it preclude competition in the daily fantasy sports space? Because if, in fact, together they're generating 97, 98 percent of the revenues and have the vast number of of users – you know, the antitrust laws are, are in place in part to prevent a sort of monopoly where the consumers are the ones taken advantage of. Uh, so, so I think that there is serious concern about the potential of this FanDuel DraftKings merger being pushed through and the result being that consumers just don't have a legitimate choice to pick between that new entity and anything else in the space. What what about some of the uh, sites like Yahoo, CBS Sports, and stuff? And of course, there are a lot of others that uh, you know relied on uh, fantasy sports for a lot of their traffic. You know, p- people went there and and you know played games. Either sometimes they paid a fee, sometimes they didn't, and the sites brought in money through the advertising based on the traffic that they generated. Did those uh, uh, sites? also get involved in daily fantasy sports or were they just in season long 
Yahoo did, but it never really took a plunge into the deep end. Uh, there was a, a short period of time where you saw internally that Yahoo would advertise its daily fantasy sports product to individuals who were participating in the season long. But what I thought was very interesting was that at the same time, you would find ads for DraftKings when you played on, on Yahoo Fantasy uh, sports products as well. So I think for them, it was more of a monetization play than anything and not really a focus necessarily on growing their daily fantasy sports product. I think, you know, from the beginning, Yahoo has been very focused on its season long and has been one of the strongest in the season long space. Some of these larger companies like Yahoo, CBS, you mentioned ESPN, I think probably what they see in their diligence is that daily fantasy sports, while enticing, is not yet proven from a, a financial aspect, that you have these daily fantasy sports companies spending a lot of money, and while they're making a lot in revenue, still not generating a profit, and yet at the same time, the season-long a platform is tested, tried, and, and it's been proven to be successful for these companies. Yeah. And also, I think that these bigger companies for, you know, for a long time now have said, you know, we have shareholders, big time shareholders, we're public companies that we, we have to be very cautious that we don't get ourselves involved in any sort of legal battle. We don't want to be up against state attorneys general. We don't want to be spending money on lobbying efforts. Let FanDuel and DraftKings deal with that. And we're not done with that yet. As I mentioned, there's only roughly 10 states that have recently changed their existing gambling laws. And there are others that where a FanDuel or a DraftKings fits in okay. But I think that a lot of these bigger companies are still going to sit on the sidelines and say, FanDuel, DraftKings, spend your money on it. We'll, we'll wait it out. I, I, here's my take, and it's going to be a lot stronger than yours. And... You know, I should say for our listeners, I don't have, you know, the smoking gun on this. But here's what I'm thinking. These big companies, Yahoo and, and, and the others, they're big lobbyists. They pay a lot of money to politicians. And I think not only did they not see a way to make money from this, they had the rug pulled from under their feet by these smart startups and daily fantasy sports. And I think that some of them are the ones that stirred the pot to have the politicians go after these daily fantasy sports sites because they were getting their butts kicked. And as you pointed out, there was a lot of smart money going into these daily fantasy sites, hedge fund money, you know, some of the smartest team owners in professional sports, the leagues themselves. But these people are innovative. They're smart. They were not risk adverse. And one day... Those sites that just had the season-long fantasy games on them woke up and said, wow, we're growing at one quarter of the rate as these daily fantasy sports sites. So I, I, I think they were instigators in this. I think that they were behind it. I couldn't come out and prove it to you, but I do know they pay a lot of money to the lobbyists. Well, I'll add to the list of adjectives that you know, I think that these – some of these daily fantasy companies, in particular, DraftKings was also cavalier. I think that you know they that it was very clear what the federal law stated. Um, they could have taken the time to look at the various state laws, and they just said, you know what, hell with it. Let's just put out our product. Let's spend our money on advertising. Let's not do the due diligence we necessarily need to do. 
Um, and, and look, they're paying for it, honestly. They, they're paying for it in the long run because their valuations have gone down. Uh, the interest in investing in these companies has definitely also decreased. Um, but that said, I mean, these are still potentially valued in the hundreds of millions of dollars. And so, you know, I don't know how much these CEOs and other executives at the daily fantasy sports companies are making. Perhaps, you know, they, they're sitting back laughing at the fact that we're even discussing this right now. Um, but, you know, bold is correct. Uh, you know, they, they, they did not necessarily care about the risks. They were cavalier. Maybe it ends up benefiting them in the future. Uh, but but they're, still, they're still not out of the red. And they're still not done fighting the fight against many states uh, that have said what you are providing is not legal within our existing laws. So Dis- we'll see how it, how it turns out. Disruption often leads to innovation. And uh, Oh, yeah, and- I, I agree. I mean, I, I love the first of all, from, from my position. I would love nothing more than these companies to be deemed legal across the board. In fact, I think that it's hypocritical that many of these individuals that you've mentioned, like the crafts and teams that have invested in uh, these daily fantasy sports operations, say it's okay. And then, you know, the NFL says we're still opposed to sports gambling. Uh, many of the opinions that you presented earlier as to why daily fantasy sports should be legal and and talking about uh, the New York State lottery, I think should apply to sports gambling. Uh, you know, you can if you can have the requisite amount of skill to prevail in a daily fantasy sports competition, I think you could also potentially have the requisite amount of skill to prevail in uh, in a sports bet in a, in a single wager on a game. And in fact. <laughs> There are people out in Nevada who make a living off of it. So, um, you know, a lot of it is the politics behind the scenes. And, um, you know, it, it's just something that these daily fantasy sports have had companies have had to deal with over the past couple of years and will probably have to deal with in the foreseeable future. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. The smart new way to buy business travel is Upside.com. You save money and get a free Amazon gift card every trip you buy. Use the code FORBES and you're guaranteed at least a $100 gift card your first time using Upside. Save big on travel and get a big gift card. Upside.com. Minimum purchase required. See site for complete details. Now, I was also thinking about innovation and other types of uh, uh, businesses, but those related to it. You know, I was thinking of... Uh, a guy like Mark Cuban, who owns the Dallas Mavericks, and you know he's, he's an investor in the popular TV show Shark Tank, of course, that uh, I think it was early last year in 2016, he became an investor in something called Fantasy Labs, a daily fantasy sports analytics platform. What can you tell me about that? Yeah, it's a data play. I mean, I think it's interesting when you have – individuals or companies that are not necessarily investing in the core product or products of an industry. Uh, so instead of putting money into a FanDuel or a DraftKings, um, into a particular business that's reaching consumers, you have a, a company like 
what Mark Cuban invested in that caters to the individuals who are then playing for within different operators. Um, and I love I love plays like that when they're innovative and when they can be scaled. Um, you know, we're actually starting to see that in, in a different industry that I'm sure we won't get into on this conversation, but a growing industry in esports, video game competitions, where for a long time you've seen similar types of investments. Instead of in a DraftKings or a FanDuel, you have investments in an esports team. That's been sort of the easy investment, the one that a lot of companies and hedge funds can understand. Whereas now there's starting to be some plays in, in the data-driven companies as well that assist the the players uh, who are participating in these esports competitions. So I like it. I think it's always, uh, you know, it, it's important for the industry as a whole to grow so that you're not only focusing on the core products, uh, but also for wise and savvy investors. You look at not what hits the eye at first, but you, you do a deeper dive and see what has potential of scale. Right. And Fantasy Labs, if I understand it correctly, what they do is they basically supply analytics to, to participants in fantasy sports to so that they will hopefully have an advantage. And, and uh, you know, my take on that is, OK, there's a problem. Some players have, you know, an advantage because they they've created computer models or what have you. Well, here's a solution. And you know what? The solution doesn't involve an attorney's general or a judge or more regulators. <laughs> but but here's always here's the interesting dilemma in the space from a business perspective. That's awesome. That is great. If you level the playing field, then not only is it entertainment, but yes, your next door neighbor can potentially win a million dollars in a tournament. But then if we look at the legal side of the equation, what happens to the issue when everyone's on a level playing field? How can you possibly say that skill contributes more than chance to the individual who wins the whole tournament? And so, you know, it, it, to me, it's, it's sort of like a double-edged sword because you don't want to be too heavy on either side. You don't want it to necessarily be a completely level playing field because then you have an issue in the law. But also, you don't want there to be too much disparity because at that point, you'll have a lot of people that just don't want to play. What is your take right now in terms of which of the professional sports leagues, NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, are the most involved or have the most invested in fantasy sports, be it seasonal or daily, and um, are, are, are they starting to get nervous, pull out? You know, you, you know, same thing with these hedge fund guys, you know, that you mentioned have been putting a lot of the seed capital in. Are, are, has the reputation or the business model in their minds been, been hurt so much from what's been going on that they're pulling out? Well, we don't – it doesn't appear to be an attractive investment for them going forward because we just simply haven't seen – uh, you know, Major League Baseball, the NBA, or NHL really being involved in any recent rounds of fundraising. Um, but those three leagues certainly are, are take, have taken the lead in terms of investment with uh, the NBA involved with uh, FanDuel, Major League Baseball, and the NHL involved in DraftKings. And Meanwhile, you have the NFL sitting on the sidelines, not having any involvement from an equity standpoint in any of the two major operators. Um, and I think that goes back to this whole theory that the league doesn't want to in any way be 
directly involved with something that could be in some way related to sports betting, even though you have team owners, as has been mentioned, uh, involved from an equity standpoint. And you have teams that are receiving advertising dollars based on partnerships that have been crafted between DraftKings, FanDuel, and the individual teams. Um, it's hard to say that there's any one league that has taken a bigger role than the others. And I'm not sure from a sheer numbers standpoint if, if there's one that has more equity than the other or one that has actually invested more money than the other. Uh, but I would say maybe it's Major League Baseball because they're, you know, whereas with the NBA and FanDuel, there's a league deal, but DraftKings can still have individual team partnerships. With Major League Baseball, DraftKings, you know, basically took over the league and then also is a partner with every Major League Baseball team, but for a couple that are in states where it's expressly illegal to uh, have any chance whatsoever in this type of competition. And so, you know, a state like Arizona, uh, there's no official partnership in place between DraftKings and the Diamondbacks. Um, but I think that's probably the uh, operator league partnership that is most expansive. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Small businesses are the heart of our communities and the places that we could not live without. Just think about how much you rely on that local hardware store. Whether you have been in business for generations or recently launched, creating a website on WordPress.com can make a big impact on your business. Even if you don't have experience building a website, WordPress can guide you through the process. They have hundreds of customized themes to get you started. Just pick a template and make it your own. You'll get built-in search engine optimization and social sharing. When you build your website on WordPress.com, you are part of a community with support 24-7 when you need it. Come see why 27% of all websites run on WordPress. Get started today with 15% off any new plan purchase. Go to WordPress.com slash Forbes to create your website and find the membership plan that's right for you. That's WordPress.com slash Forbes for 15% off your brand new website. WordPress.com slash Forbes. Yeah, I went to an NFL game, a giant game at MetLife Stadium in September 2015. I hadn't been to an NFL game you know, really in a number of years. I used to go all the time in, in the uh, 80s. I, in fact, I lived in East Rutherford, and a cousin of mine had season tickets. And I was shocked. You know, people were just holding their smartphones in their hand most of the time, looking at their smartphones. It seemed to me a lot of them were you know, looking at their fantasy uh, players and how it was performing. And I contrasted that it was a different world than than I was used to when I used to go all the time you know we were looking at the game on the field you know uh you know Sims LT Bavaro you know knew everything but the stands were full just the same if if um if there were to be a significant decline in fantasy sports I guess what I'm driving at could people less people go to go to see sports games could let is, is it really added to the sort of universe of people that consumes sports content like either from tv or going to games 
Yeah, from an in-stadium perspective, I don't think so. I think at first, actually, it was a challenge for many teams to retain or drive interest in having people come to the stadium when you have NFL Red Zone uh, or even an NFL fantasy channel that was created. I think it was on DirecTV. And so by going to a game, you couldn't watch the other games that you were all of a sudden interested in. You know, who, who wants to watch a Cleveland Browns game? But if you have a wide receiver, well, now you're interested. Um, so, you know, it, going to the game it was a challenge. So now, as you mentioned, you know, you'll have the scoreboards actually include fantasy stats and there may even be updates uh, provided throughout the game and push notifications on your phone. Um, so it alleviated a little bit of the concern that you would actually have a decrease in interest of going to the game because people would want to either stay home or go to a sports bar and catch many games at the same time and follow their fantasy teams. I don't think that there's going to be any, any general decrease in interest from a fantasy perspective. I think that you still have all the people who have played fantasy sports very much engaged, but maybe the amount of growth by a percentage has decreased in the recent past. And part of that was because certain operators pulled out of states and didn't allow individuals within certain states uh, to participate when there was legal scrutiny. Um, and I know the state of New York, obviously, with many potential players, with DraftKings and FanDuel pulling out for some time, that was an issue. Um, I think overall what we have seen certainly is, as you mentioned, fantasy sports creating a new class of consumers. Um, and I, I do believe that's particularly true with regard to the female demographic. I mean, you have so many women who are now actually interested in watching NFL games and could oh, have boy. not cared before. Are you, are you are, are you, I'm laughing not at you. I'm laughing because you are so right. I, I went, you know, I forget exactly, what was it, about two years ago where Brady was going to be suspended, but he wasn't for the uh, deflate gate and the ball. And I, you just made me think of, I, I, after like the first Thursday night game, I went to go on, uh, I think it was Fox, uh, and, and to to uh, opine on what that could mean for viewership, because I think the, the Pats were like going to be the Thursday night game. And so I sit down at the desk, and there were like four people from Fox there, and uh, I'm looking to my right at the host, and uh, I think it was Maria Bartiroma, and I, and I was all ready to start telling her, you know, the, the ratings numbers. And, and there was another woman younger to the, to the left. She goes, all I want to know is, should I, should I pick Tom Brady for my fantasy team? She, that's exactly what she said to me, and I was just like, wow. I knew it was the beginning of the end when I heard a woman complain about Devonta Freeman giving up carries to Tevin Coleman. And, um, and, you know, at that point in time, when you actually know not only the starting running back on the Atlanta Falcons, but also the backup running back, and you are visibly upset about the fact that your running back is not getting the carries that he deserves, you are now a committed fan. And I think that's happened. I mean, we've seen that happen. And, again, it's tested and tried it, it, it over many years. And, Maybe it was daily fantasy sports even that, that you know, was, is, is a big byproduct or, or that caused that in large effect because you don't have to be invested for the whole year if you don't want to. And if, if there's a particular weekend where you're out of the country and you have no connection, okay, you're not participating. But if you're in town, in your hometown, and it's, you know, 
a Sunday and your significant others watching the games anyway, why not participate in, in, in daily fantasy? And, and it's a way to associate, to communicate, to enjoy your time together. I think that we've really seen that as a society where fantasy sports has probably brought a lot of people together and, and certainly has, has generated interest in what I guess a lot of people call the casual fan. And maybe even and and maybe even transform some quote unquote casual fans into diehard fans. All right, man. Listen, you're one of the smartest guys I know. So before I let you go, I'm going to ask you to take out that crystal ball you have with you, and and tell me what are we likely to see the next few months or several months, Darren, uh, in terms of all the stuff about fantasy sports shaking out. Well, hopefully we get some guidance as to what's going on with this potential merger between FanDuel and DraftKings. As I mentioned, the expectation is we'll know one way or the other before the end of 2017. But I think for everyone involved, especially for those at FanDuel and DraftKings, the sooner the better. I think in the meantime, what you're going to see is this continued effort of lobbying different states, playing itself out, and more and more states actually expressly legalizing fantasy sports, both season-long and daily fantasy. Um, and I think, you know, more and more power will, will be in the hands of FanDuel and DraftKings. As mentioned before, you have the states now taxing these companies and requiring upfront fees in order to promote and advertise services to individuals within respective states' borders. And I, and I think that, honestly, a lot of these fees are too much money for startups to pay. But FanDuel and DraftKings, with their huge reservoirs, can can stomach it. So I think more and more power combined within those two entities, potentially a merger, and an increase in states that are willing to expressly legalize fantasy. All right, Darren, great stuff as usual. Thanks a lot for coming on. Really appreciate it. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Forbes Sports Money. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with a comment or question, Please email us at sportsmoney at podcastone.com. That's O-N-E dot com. Hey, I'm John Horn. This week on Geffen Playhouse Unscripted, we are joined by Josh Gad. Josh Gad. And as much as he wants you to believe that none of it is scripted, I'm telling you that even my name is in a paper in front of me and I'm reading it. And everything that I'm saying right now, I'm also reading. This is very meta. And it's phonetically spelled out, so you it's know how to say Josh Gad. And for some reason, it's also in Spanish. Yo soy Yajigad. It's called Geffen Playhouse Unscripted. You could download it on the Podcast One app. You can hear it on Apple Podcast Or at podcastone.com. You are done. Thank you very much. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. London police have arrested Julian Assange on extradition charges to the United States, as well as for violating his bail. Assange is accused of publishing classified documents through WikiLeaks. In 2010, he told Sky News he was worried about what the U.S. might do to him. The United States recently has shown that its institutions seem to be failing. Uh, They are failing to follow the rule of law. And with dealing with a superpower... It does not appear to be following, following the rule of law. It is a serious business. He also said in 2010 the U.S. officials had threatened him and those associated with him. There has been many calls by senior political figures uh, in the United States, uh, including elected ones in the Senate, 
uh, for my execution, uh, the kidnapping of my staff. Edward Snowden, the former security contractor who leaked classified information about U.S. surveillance programs, says the arrest of Assange is a blow to media freedom. I'm Rita Foley.